is a, a wisdom psalm, as most scholars would agree. And what, a, what is a wisdom psalm, you say? Give you a definition here. A wisdom psalm, also called a didactic psalm, is a type of psalm in the book of Psalms that imports practical wisdom, that imparts practical wisdom and moral instruction. These psalms are poetic language and vivid imagery to convey principles for righteous living and the pursuit of wisdom. They guide believers to seek God's guidance, align their lives with His wisdom, and experience the blessings that come from walking in His ways. And we will see exactly those things this morning as we come to the 37th Psalm uh, that's written by uh, David. David is uh, believed to be the majority author. Uh, there's, I believe, a set of 150 Psalms, about 74 that his name is specifically pinned to in the introduction. Um, but many others, we believe, are written by David. And this is one of David's, as we see there in the heading of Psalm 37, uh, a psalm of David. Uh, this was written towards the end of uh, David's life. Uh, that can be found in Psalm 37:25. It says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not, now I am old. And so this is not early David, this is older David. So he's in the, the latter part of his life and he has experienced walking with the Lord and, um, and, and all of that is kind of wrapped up in this psalm. And there's someone who knows enemies. It is King David, as we'll see what this is about this morning. Another interesting aspect of Psalm uh, 37, not many psalms can be said of this, only uh, a few. But it is, a, it is an acrostic. Uh, so we all know what acrostics are. And so uh, in, this is a Hebrew acrostic. All 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are found in order here uh, in their every other line we see a group together as this acrostic and so it's important to see this structure of psalm 37 for three particular reasons at least three one is we see its intentionality uh because it's an acrostic because uh these uh, every every two lines are grouped together with uh, with the uh, the hebrew alphabet we see there is great design and the original readers would have come across psalm 37 and have instantly known that there was design and there was beauty uh, in uh, in this psalm. There was very specific structure to it. Uh, also, it would have helped with memories. We know that uh, much of God's word was uh, was passed down uh, orally, and so that orally, this is one. It would have helped them to memorize and to commit it to memory. And then also, I think thirdly, uh, also a very important note of why this structure is important is because of its completeness. The whole alphabet is uh, is listed, is, is used in this acrostic, and we're going to see this beautiful full psalm, and it just shows the complete nature of this psalm and how important it is to God's people. Also, this psalm, Psalm 37, deals with a very common question. And that common question is this, why do good things happen to bad people? Now, if you're with us and ever went to the book of Habakkuk, we dealt with the opposite question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, and we know there are no good people except Christ. Um, but ultimately, this question that is, that is dealt with in Psalm 37, or why do good things happen to bad people? Because indeed, there are good things, and indeed, there are bad people. And so we're going to see an answer to this question. Maybe not so much the why of it, but we're going to see this question dealt with very clearly. And then finally, if I were to kind of give you the big idea of Psalm 37, it is this. It is to trust in God's sovereignty. 
You say, John, don't we talk about God's sovereignty every week? Yes, we do. We talk about God's sovereignty all the time because we need to hear about God's sovereignty. Psalm 37 is a trust in God's sovereignty to find delight in Him and walk in righteousness, knowing that He will ultimately bring justice to sinners and bless the righteous. And so that's kind of this big picture of Psalms 37. And so we don't have time this morning to really unpack all of Psalm 37, but as we'll see, uh, we're going to land most specifically in the first seven verses, but we're going to read the whole Psalm, all 40 verses. So we're going to read Psalm 37, 1 through 40. So let's do that now. Here we go. Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. But the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not to be put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, but when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless 
and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this psalm this morning that we have the privilege of turning to. Thank You for Your holy word and that it is good. And thank You for this psalm of wisdom, Lord, that we might gain Your wisdom and gain Your knowledge. That we may be reminded and come to know these wonderful truths that we'll see this morning. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. Protect me from error. And may Christ be exalted. In his name we do pray. Amen. So, as we see, it is a lengthy psalm. Not all psalms are this long. Some are longer. But this is a beautiful psalm of 40 verses. That we are going to kind of dive into these first seven verses. That capture uh, really the, the essence of what's happening in all 40 verses. And after especially verse 11, we see that David just kind of gives evidence to what he, the foundation that he's laying in these first seven verses. So there's two main points, if you will, uh, this morning that we want to uh, focus on. The first is this. Do not get worked up over the world. Do not get worked up over the world. He says, John, that doesn't sound like uh, that doesn't sound like good biblical sense. But let's see what this means. So if you go back to verse one there and we see this this word several times in this chapter, fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of wrongdoers so this idea of fret not you'll see it many times in psalm 37 it is this command that the lord gives through david to his people to us as well to fret not because of evildoers fret not because of evildoers and this word fret not or this phrase fret not it literally means do not get heated do not get heated and we, we even use that language today, right? Don't get heated. Don't get worked up. Don't become anxious. Don't worry. Don't get angered. So don't get worked up over the world is this initial command. And it's really the foundation of Psalm 37. So how can we not get worked up over the world? Because as believers, we know what's all around us. And that's what we're going to see this morning. But I want to look at a couple other passages that really that drives this point home. Go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 24. Proverbs 24. Just a few verses here. Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 19-22 says this, Fret not, there it is again, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers, and be not envious of the world. For the evil man has no future, the lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join those who do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. And so we see Proverbs reinforcing the same message. Now go with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 12. Jeremiah 12, the first four verses of Jeremiah 12. We see the prophets complain here. Jeremiah 12, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. 
Why does the way of the wicked prosper? So we see truth there. We see that the way of the wicked does prosper. Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them. You see those three words? You plant them, Jeremiah says. And they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their hearts. Jeremiah 12, 2 gives us really clear insight of where the wicked even come from. The Lord is sovereign, not just over the righteous. He's sovereign over the wicked. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it, the beasts and the birds are swept away because he said he will not see our latter end. And one more, it's a little longer. Why don't you go with me back to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader in the tabernacle choir. Many would say that all those who are involved in worship today are spiritual sons of Asaph. So Ryan, you are a spiritual son of Asaph, the worship leader in the tabernacle. Psalm 73. And I do want to read this one because, it again, it's just, we love it when God's Word expounds on God's Word. And so here is Psalm 73. Truly, I'm going to read this kind of fast. So, um, truly God is good to Israel, to those who appear in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Now Asaph is going to get very descriptive here. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is in their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in their riches. And we see this in Psalms. We see this today in our own world. We see this in the world around us. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every, and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So we see this change in Asaph here. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me weary, a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept utterly away by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul is embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and, and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. 
Again, I know a lengthy psalm there, but we just see the beauty of God's Word. We see this consistent message in God's Word that God is the one who is sovereign over evildoers. He is the one who is sovereign over the wicked. He is sovereign over sinners. Our God is. And so when he says there in Psalm 37, 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of wrongdoers. He's saying do not get heated up over these sinners. Do not get worked up over the world. It is clear not just from our biblical text, it's clear from my own experience in life, that the wicked prospered. They do well in this life and in this life only. If this is your best life, then you have no hope of eternal life with God. And we say they do prosper in this life, but they will not prosper in the next. They will not prosper for eternity. They will not have eternal life. They will go on to eternal death. Evil abounded and prospered in David's day. Pagan kings, they were constantly looking to destroy God's people and defile the name of the Lord and defy the name of the Lord. Wicked people, they were paying no heed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wickedness abounded in these days. Evil and wickedness and sinfulness, they abound and they prosper today even in the 21st century. And I believe all of us can attest to that. Like it always has been, but it is more prominent, it seems, than ever before in our day and age. With corrupt politics, media, the media being biased towards anything that is not of the Lord, colleges pushing secular agendas, corporations pushing the same agenda, people at large having a platform to broadcast and normalize their sinfulness, we see on a daily basis. And in all of these, we see prosperity. We see the wicked prosper. We see the sinner do well. Sinfulness abounds and we see it every day. And the psalmist said here, there are two ways that people respond. By fretting and by being envious. And he says, do not fret and do not be envious says, do not get worked up over it. Now, so there are three reasons that we are not to get heated by the prosperity of the wicked. Three reasons that we should not get worked up. One, God is their judge, as we see in Psalm 37, as we see in Psalm 77, as we see in Jeremiah, as we see all through Scripture, God is their judge. God will, God will cast His judgment upon sinners. God will have his way. God will have the last word. Even it says here, he laughs at the evildoer. God is not worried about the wicked because God is sovereign. There is no unknown future. God is their judge. Secondly, their prosperity is short-lived. Their prosperity is short-lived. There's a verse 2 there, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green Herb. It is short-lived. Their prosperity is not eternal. Their prosperity is not long-lasting. It is but a vapor. And then thirdly, your anger, our anger, my anger, only robs us of our joy. It robs us of our joy. So whenever we stay angry and embittered at the prosperity of the wicked, 
And don't mishear me this morning. We're consistently talking about the prosperity of the wicked. We should be angry about sin. We should be, because the Lord is constantly angry at sin. We should have nothing to do with sin. Sin should sicken us. But when it says the prosperity of the evildoers, he's saying don't let it get to you because the Lord is their judge. Because their prosperity is short-lived. And because it's only going to rob you of your joy. But not only does he say, do not fret over this because of evildoers. But he says, be not envious of wrongdoers. Don't be jealous of it. And oftentimes our anger with the wicked is just a mask for our jealousy for what they have. If we were to be honest with ourselves. Because again, it is so much in front of us today more than ever before. But we lose sight of what our true treasure is. Our true treasure is not what the wicked has. There is nothing that can be attained by by an unrepentant sinner that is better than what we have. And that's not this community. It's not our health. It's not anything other than Christ. He is our true treasure. So let us not lose sight of what and who our true treasure is. And that is Jesus a treasure that moth and dust cannot corrupt. Go me to the book of Job. Just one book over to your left. Job chapter 22. We'll start in verse 21. Read through 30. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you, rem- if you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and, the, and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent beds, if you put this stuff aside, then it says in verse 25 of Job 22, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. So God is our treasure. He is our gold. He is that which is precious to us. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to Him and He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. For when when they are humbled, you say it is because of pride, but He saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands." So he says, don't just not fret over the prosperity of the evildoers, but be not envious of these wrongdoers. Because we have something far greater. We have God Himself in the person of Jesus who has come and made Himself known and will come again. We have the great treasure who is Christ. The true treasure that is worth a life's pursuit. All of the treasures of the evildoers are not worth their life's pursuit. Those treasures are not worth the sacrifices that are made. The only treasure that is worth our life's pursuit is Christ. To complain about or envy the prosperity of others. To complain about or envy the prosperity of others is to doubt the sovereignty of God. For he is the one who gives to all men, both wicked and righteous. It is the Lord who gives. It is the Lord who takes away. And so let us not be envious. Let us not get stirred up. But let us look to the Lord and trust in his sovereignty. 
But not only are we commanded not to fret over the prosperity of the wicked, but we are also reminded again of this short-lived nature that we see. It is short-lived. Just like life, we're reminded of in James, is but a vapor. It says they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Yet, let us not rush to the demise of the wicked. Let us not be quick to desire the end of the wicked. Peter tells us that it is the patience of the Lord that brings about salvation. It is the patience of God. Because if we were God in here, I don't think we would be very patient gods, would we? Not at all. But it is the patience of God that leads to salvation. If the wicked were destroyed immediately, who would be saved? If God were not patient, if He were not slow, if He, if he destroyed anyone who was wicked, there would be no one. For no one is righteous. But He is slow and He is patient. What if God had taken out Saul before he was redeemed and converted and became one of the greatest missionaries of all time? What about you? What if the Lord had taken you out before you repented and turned to Christ? But the Lord was slow and He was patient. It is the kindness of God and the patience of God that leads to repentance. Jesus is patient. Go me to 2 Peter. Towards the end there of the New Testament. Right uh, before 1 John, 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll start in verse 8. 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we are waiting. We are waiting for the Lord to do all that He promised to do. And He will do it. He may seem slow, as some count slowness, but He is not slow. God is always perfectly on time. Always. Never early, never late. Always perfectly on time. Jesus is patient. And he says, so, so Peter says, just as the psalmist says here, what sort of people should we be? David not only warns us not to get worked up over the wicked and not to be uh, fooled into being jealous of the wicked, but he also commands us in a few ways here. So he says, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of these wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. But in the meantime, Peter says, what kind of people should we be? 
These are the kind of people that we should be in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, he says, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So what kind of people should we be? We should be those who trust the Lord. We should be those who look to the Lord and trust Him in every aspect of our life. It says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. What does that mean to dwell in the land? In the Old Testament, the land was a symbol of God's presence and His blessing. The Israelites for 400 years were seeking the promised land. For 40 years, wandered around the desert. The command to dwell the command to dwell in the land should be a reminder to enjoy the promises of God. So he is saying, don't look to these evildoers. Don't get worked up and stay in this state of bitterness at their prosperity. Don't get worked up and being envious for them. But instead, look to the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Dwell in His promises. Abide in Him. Ultimately, as we see in the book of John. To look to the Lord and trust Him. The commander to dwell in the land should be a reminder for us to enjoy the promises of God. For how many promises of God are true? All of them. Every single one of them. Every promise in the Old Testament, every promise in the New Testament, every single promise of God is true. So let us dwell in that. Let us abide in that. Let us trust the Lord. Also, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. That's what we want to see, right? Let's highlight that one. Let's delight in God. He'll give us whatever we want. What says that, right? Delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Go with me to John chapter 15. What does it mean to delight in the Lord? Because if He's going to give us the desires of our heart, if we delight in Him, we should know what it means to delight in Him, right? Delight in Him and He will give you the desires of your heart. John 15, we'll start in verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you. This is our theme of, of camp this summer for our students. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There it is again, this promise. By this My Father is glorified, glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Rest in my love. Dwell in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Delight in it. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What does it mean to, to, to delight in, in the Lord, to rest in Him, to love Him, to abide in Him, to be with Him, to enjoy Him, to have His fullness? It's to delight in the Lord. And as we delight in the Lord, as we abide in Him, He does something that only God can do. He begins to change our heart. He begins to, to form our heart to be more like Him. And only God can change the heart. You can't change your heart's desires. A 30-day program can't change your heart's desires. Only the power of God can change the heart and change what it desires. 
And he has given us a new heart in Christ. The old man is dead. The new man has been raised up. It's been given a new heart, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. And the more that we grow in Christ, the more we desire the things of the Lord. Joy, peace, his kingdom, and for his will to be done. So if you walk with the Lord throughout your life, and some of you are new in your, your journey with the Lord, some of you have been walking with the Lord for decades, but the more you walk with Him, the more you desire these things. And that increase for desire of these things comes from God Himself. That we would desire His joy, His peace, His kingdom, as Jesus says, for His will to be done. And those things, they become our true desire of our heart. And He will grant them to us. So yes, He will give us the desires of our heart because the desires of our heart change. We genuinely want these things. We genuinely want the peace of God in our life, in the life of our loved ones, and, and those all around us. We genuinely want the peace of God to be surrounded. We want His kingdom to grow. We want His kingdom to, to expand. We want His will to be done. We begin to pray like Jesus and less like our old selves. And so as He changes our heart, as He forms our heart, we find ourselves delighting in the Lord and Him giving us the desires of our heart. We find ourselves abiding in Christ and Him giving us what we ask for because we are asking in the will of the Lord. So what do we do as we wait? As we wait for this judgment upon the sinners, we trust in the Lord, we delight in the Lord. And there in verse Five, we commit our way to the Lord. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. There it is again, Him acting. God is very active in Psalm 37. On one side, on one side He is actively working against sinners. We see this. He is actively working against them. He is going to bring His judgment. He is going to destroy sinners. In his time, but also he is actively working for his people. Just commit your way to him and trust in him, and he will act. Matthew chapter 6. Just a couple of verses in Matthew 6 31 and 33. Therefore, do not be anxious. We can just stop right there and just have a, have a good sermon, couldn't we? Do not be anxious. Going back to this word, do not fret. But do not fret, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And he's talking about just these, don't worry about the basics of life. Don't worry about the details of these things. Does it mean we shouldn't think about them? No, but don't worry about them. Don't be anxious about them. Don't fret over these things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he's aware of that need. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So we are called to commit our way to the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to submit ourselves wholly to him. And as we do, our anxiety is decreased. Our worry is decreased the more that we look to the Lord, know to know that He loves us, He knows our needs, and that He's able to provide. If we are reminded of that, it should change our outlook on life. 
Does that mean we're not going to worry at times? Absolutely not. But it means that we as believers should not be so consumed with anxiety that we are crippled. And when we are, we look to the Lord. We trust in Him. We commit our way to Him. We trust in Him and believing and knowing that He will act. I love any time in Scripture that we see we see that promise that He will do this. He shall do this. He's going to do this. He will act on behalf of His people. Thirdly, not only do we trust the Lord, delight ourselves in the Lord, commit the Lord. Fourthly, I'm sorry. It says we wait on the Lord. We wait on the Lord. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Here's that command again. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way and over the man who carries out evil devices. But it says, be still, wait on the Lord. So we trust in the Lord, delight ourselves in the Lord, commit our way to the Lord, but we wait on the Lord. Lamentations. Now you're like worried. Where is Lamentations? Just flip to your right till you find it. Right before Ezekiel, I believe. Lamentations. Chapter 3. Beautiful passage. We're really going to start in 25, but let's start in 21 because it's just one of my favorite passages. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Let's just land yet this morning. I want to put some start there. Verse 25. The Lord is good to those who do what? Who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks Him. It is good that that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him push his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. But it says, let us wait on him. It is good for these things to happen. It is good for us to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not a punishment. Waiting on the Lord, Scripture says, is good. It is good to wait on Him because the more we wait, the more we trust, the more we look to Him. So we wait on the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul that seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. This was something that Israel knew a lot about. They find themselves waiting quite often. They waited in Egypt. They waited in the desert. They waited on the Messiah. And those who ultimately didn't wait and didn't walk by faith, they failed to wait. Those who did not look to the Lord in faith, the faith that Abraham had, they failed to wait. They gave up on the Lord. And we know that not all of Israel are true Israel. We see that. Paul explains that to us very clearly. But the remnant, we talk about the remnant often, the remnant, those who remained faithful to the Lord, who waited on Him, who trusted in Him, those are the ones who believed by faith in the Lord, and they waited patiently. And every single time, God did as He promised He would do. He never left and never uh, forsaked His people. 
As Peter said, as we read earlier, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. God answered every single one and continues to answer all of his promises. For not only did Israel wait, but we too are people who wait on the Lord. And we have seen so many promises of God be fulfilled, especially as we read God's word. The things they were waiting for in the Old Testament, we see so many uh, fulfilled at the end of the Old Testament or the beginning of the New Testament. We see them fulfilled in Christ. So many of these things fulfilled, ultimately in the person of Christ. And we too are people who wait. And we are to wait patiently on the Lord. We've seen these promises be fulfilled. Yet we still wait for the return of Christ. For Christ to come for His people. To put an end to sin and to fulfill, to bring about the fulfillment of his kingdom. One pastor and author says it very well. He, su- he suggests that waiting for the Lord shouldn't be compared to waiting in a dentist office. That's a different kind of wait, right? But rather to a groom standing at the altar, waiting for his bride to come to the aisle, waiting for that blessed new life together that is now so near. It is a different kind of waiting, a waiting that is full of anticipation, a waiting that is full of joy, a waiting that is full of hope. That is the waiting that we are called to be a part of in Psalm and Peter and so many places in God's Word. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Christ has come. Christ has inaugurated His kingdom and now we too wait for His blessed return in which He will destroy death and defeat His enemies and gather all of those who are His. Read two verses and we'll wrap it up. Go down to verse 11. When Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, He refers back to Psalm 37, 11, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is the promise of God, that those who are His, the meek, those who were called according to Christ, what is the promise of them? That they will inherit the land. They will inherit the promises of God. And they will delight themselves, not in short-term peace. That's the only peace we know on this side of eternity, short-term peace. There are seasons of peace, but abundant peace, everlasting peace, belongs to the meek. Then go to the very last two verses of this chapter, Psalm 37. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Because they look to Him in faith and in hope. They are amongst the remnant of those who are remaining faithful to the Lord because of Christ. And those that are in that group will be delivered from the wicked and they will be saved. Praise be to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is our salvation and our stronghold. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning.